The McDonald's All-American Games are where hype becomes legacy. These players are high school athletes today, but they'll be household names tomorrow. James Harden, Anthony Davis, Candace Parker, Brianna Stewart are all McDag alumni. This is a big year. The games are back on for the first time since 2019 and returning to their many-time host city of Chicago, celebrating 45 years of legacy and commitment to high school basketball. Tune in to the games on Tuesday, March 29th. The girls' game starts at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time on ESPN2, and the boys' game begins at 9 p.m. Eastern Time on ESPN. Catch the games live on March 29th and Jamfest on March 28th, both at Wintrust Arena in Chicago. Tickets are on sale now at Ticketmaster. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Dishes and Dimes brought to you by BasketballNews.com. I am your host today, uh, Katie Heindel, and I'm very excited to be joined by um, a real pro, uh, a friend of mine, someone who I would say has like really struck a balance of like a healthy distance from an NBA team that they cover, um, which is a rare thing uh, in this life and I think in this profession. But I'm joined today by Harrison Fagan of what would you say is your like it's your Lakers SB, your Lakers SB Nation, but you do a lot of other yeah. things. So no, pretty much just that, just silver screen and roll, you, you know, uh, the Lakers SB Nation site. Yeah. I mean, that's the only place that I, I mean, I, I guess of, you could also say like of Twitter, but I don't get paid for that. So it sounds less <laughs> None of us do. You know? <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, yet, yet. There you go. Uh, keeping it, One keeping day. it posy. Um, Harrison, thank you for joining me. And how are you doing? You know, I'm, I'm doing well. I, uh, like you said, I have, uh, I think like gained a healthy degree of like mental removal mm-hmm. from this Lakers season where the only time that I'm really going insane about it is when I feel like Bill Murray and Groundhog Day and I'm like writing the game recap that <laughs> night and it's like oh like they started out slow in the first quarter again and then they kind of came back before falling short like you know I I was literally you know the other night I wrote about my cat in the game <laughs> recap uh and like him attacking me because I accidentally scared him while dropping uh like a can of or, or like a little container of everything seasoning for bagels uh that my wife had in the cabinet and it scared him and he scratched me uh and this was all during the second quarter as the Lakers were blowing a lead and I was like well the team did like a basketball version of mm-hmm. that because out of ways to write that this team just you know stopped playing for a while or like failed hilariously in some way, at least last night against the wizards, you know, when we're recording this, they found a new way to lose, which has been rare this season. You know, they actually blew a lead instead of doing like a fake comeback mm-hmm, at the end. Mm-hmm. So that was exciting. I, I had some new things to write about in my game recap. It's nice. They're keeping it fresh for you. <laughs> yeah, finally we're in, like, you know, we're like 60 games in, they found a second way to lose. I'm really glad. I'm really glad and grateful. Well, I have to say the reason I wanted to have you on and just for our listeners, um, this won't just be a purely Lakers pod, but I do feel like whether we like it or not, the Lakers are cornerstones of the NBA in that they typically dictate uh, the terms of a regular season, certainly in LeBron's era, obviously in era's prior. And even when they're not doing so well, I think, you know, they're they're always kind of this shadow of like, what are the Lakers doing? Partially, obviously huge franchise, huge fan base. Um, 
really big, you know, iconic franchise. But I think this year uh, it's been really interesting, at least to me. And I think a lot of people watching to see the variations and to have this sense that we're still almost waiting for a comeback. Granted, it's too late. And that's a strange thing, (laughs) I think, to grapple with. But all that said, um, I mean, you have mentioned you've obviously been writing about this all season. So I know you've said a lot of this stuff already. But I did want to talk to you about the Lakers roller coaster as almost like a barometer because we'll get into this a little bit later of just how strange this season has been and like up and down for like East and Western conferences. But let us start with the Lakers. Why do you think this is happening? <laughs> Distill it. No, when you <laughs> when you sent me the kind of rundown of what you wanted to talk about, I was I was really grateful and I was going to thank you because most people waited until like right after, you know, like they did, you know, nothing at the trade deadline. LeBron's kind of subtly throwing shade at the team. Although if you believe him, like he was not throwing any shade at all. He just loves all these other GMs and just really wanted to appreciate mm-hmm. them. Um, and so like everyone else invited me on their podcast in like four days, like following, you know, like the trade deadline and all-star break and whatever. I, I appreciate your discretion and waiting, knowing that the team would still be fail- like failing at this yes. point and that we could come <laughs> and talk about it now. And it would, you know, we'd have new kind of failures to talk about. Um, but yeah, I mean, sort of like you said, it, it's kind of, it, it's kind of crazy going from, you know, there was all this Lakers coverage you know, the last couple of years, but it was because, you know, LeBron and AD, they're the defending champs. They were making a title run, like all these things where, you know, uh, like even during the lottery years, I'm not sure that there was this much national uh, like Lakers discourse just because they didn't have a player like LeBron that like everyone was so interested in. But now, you know, they're heading down the stretch of this lost season. And, you know, 2018, 19 was like, 40 years ago in like how basketball has aged me. So I don't remember if this was the case LeBron's first year, but it just feels like the Lakers are not allowed to be bad quietly Mm -hmm. given kind of how many notable players they have on their team. And look, I get it. Like I'm part of the reason for that. I am covering every single little thing this team does, you know, more in depth than any of the net. It's just, it's crazy to see how many national people are still talking about this team that has kind of, you know, it's, it's like the Sacramento Kings have shown us this year that they're just bad. Like they're just not going to do anything. Like they made the big trade at the deadline for Sabonis, but you know, they've shown us since then that they're just not going to really do anything meaningful this year. And so people have kind of stopped talking about them. The Lakers don't get to do that because they have LeBron. They have him chasing these milestones. They have Russ who is, you know, one of the most polarizing NBA players, certainly in my time covering the league and maybe ever. Uh, And so, you know, and then you have Anthony Davis who now draws like this wide range range of reactions and they have all these kind of old guys who are supposed to be good but really aren't good anymore and yeah I mean it's just like a giant circus and uh yeah you you know people are always interested in the Lakers good or bad I guess Mm -hmm. yeah I think so and I think like some of that again I think some of that is this sense of waiting to see how LeBron's team will do especially now that he's on the Lakers um in any given season I mean certainly it's felt that way for you know any any fan who's had a rooting interest in a team in the Eastern Conference for several years uh, and like kind of waiting to see what LeBron's, whether it was Miami or the Cavs, would do. And therefore, where their team would probably end up around, especially like around this time of year. But even in the West now, like they're so far <laughs> behind. And Again, like I said, I didn't, I'm just laughing. I'm just laughing because I, I'm laughing at myself. I will clarify because a part of me is still like, but they're going to catch up. But again, 
they're not going to catch up. Uh, no, I mean, look, there, there's a reason that I've I've done the bit on on Twitter all year of like new season starts now. Yeah. It's like, you know, people were, have been waiting for the new season to start all year. And it's like anytime they get a win, it's like, well, you know, when Gabriel played really well in this one, was he the missing piece? And it turns out like probably not. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, he did play really well against uh, against your Raptors, 14 first quarter points. And, you know, everybody was ready for that to be the new turning point. This two way player the Lakers have added is here to save the day you know you can't judge this team until Kendrick Nunn who may or may not even exist at this point comes back like it's just yeah it, you know it it all started you know early on in the season really with like or it was like it, I think it was less than 20 games in Frank Vogel was talking at practices about like well like we can't really judge this team until Trevor Ariza is back and it's like wait you can't like I mean, I know like Trevor Ariza, I know he's had a really good NBA career and he was decent for the Heat last year. But, you know, I I think if your team is built to be so reliant on Trevor Ariza that he's going to completely change the way that you play, that was like red flag number one for me when they were talking about like, well, when Trevor Ariza gets back, we'll be able to embrace this team's real identity. I'm like, he's 36 years old and not LeBron, you know, like I, I'm not sure that this is something that we can reasonably be waiting on. And I guess that was red flag number one. And they have only kind of continued since then. I mean, it is kind of fascinating to look at like when we're talking about team building and like, yeah, this sense of waiting for the Lakers to like turn it around the, the kind of leniency that I think fans grant pretty much any other franchise, regardless of, you know, this, even the, the superstars that make up that franchise. Like I think of the Nets and the Warriors and still the, the periods of like grace and leniency they've been given in the season. Um, but there isn't that for the Lakers and whether that's because they're the Lakers, because LeBron James is on the team or like a real combination of those two, um, they don't, they are not granted that. And I think like a begrudging part of me is like, I don't want them to be granted that. (laughs) But it is an interesting thing that just does not necessarily exist for that team. Yeah, I I think part of that is, you know, you don't get to be the fan base known for sort of inventing rings culture and then be like, yeah, you know, well, but, you know, the team was uh, plucky underdogs and they they fell just short. And but hey, at least they scrapped (laughs) to make it into the play in game and, you know, all that. No, when when you come together and LeBron's like sending tweets during the offseason of like keep that same energy and like, you know, uh, judge us when the season begins and all that, you know, like I keep talking about the age of my squad my teammates, our personnel, all this stuff. And then, you know, sends that tweet twice and deletes it. Like they said it and they were all laughing at the crit. They spent all, I don't know how many articles we wrote over the summer. We blogged about, about like ex Lakers player laughs at critics for talking about Lakers team age. You know, you don't get to kind of, and again, some of this is stuff where like, of course they're competitors, they're going to say these things, but it's also, you know, when you are putting these expectations out there and you're talking about wanting to contend for a title and putting the super team together, and don't count us out because of our age. Like we all just know how to play and we're going to beat up on these young guys. Like I think there is a little bit less grace extended than there's going to be for a team like the Nets where like, you know, KD was hurt Mm -hmm. for a huge chunk of the year. They've dealt with the Kyrie mess. They've dealt with the James Harden mess. It's like there are a certain amount of things that are out of their control. And I think the Lakers have had things out of their control for sure this season, but it, it really was title or bust. And I also think that they have, you know, 
it, it's just a, it's a different level of expectation, I think, from the fan base and then a different level of interest in the team where, you know, there's going to be people that can always kind of generate angles to talk about this team because they know that it's going to kind of get them more podcast downloads or, you know, get them more TV viewership or whatever. Like you have to have a take on this team because they are sort of one of the driving forces of interest in the league mm -hmm. because of how huge their fan base is. Mm -hmm. And I think a big part of that and something we've kind of been, you know, dancing around since we started talking is obviously LeBron James. And I think a huge part of this season has been uh, his legacy building. I'd say, I mean, even if you're aware of his legacy building throughout, I think these last five ish seasons, it certainly feels like it has become much more urgent this season, partially because of the state that his team is in. Um, and not to say <laughs> that his legacy I don't think that his legacy is in jeopardy or anything like that. And I don't really think any, you know, self-informed, pretty self-aware NBA fan would think the same. Um, but I did want to talk to you about why you think there's been, I'd say, like, maybe some more polarizing or how do I put this? It seems to me that LeBron James has, like, come into conflict almost like his his public persona of that legacy and, like, his personal persona. I think, of course, of just, like, examples of, uh, you know, his various interesting um, takes on public health in a pandemic, <laughs> um, <laughs> things like that, that, you know, we didn't really – people weren't that critical of LeBron, I think, outside of his game before. And now there are these kind of more public-facing reasons to be critical of LeBron. And I think some of that is from frustrations uh, of, like, how his season is going. But what do you make of, I guess, this huge thing to grapple with? But we'll try our best. Uh, his legacy, where it stands now, kind of like what you think maybe the markers were for him this season to hit, to like be on track, whatever his track is uh, toward that legacy. Yeah, I mean, I think I think uh, there's a lot there, but like I think individually, as far as uh, like benchmarks that he needed to hit this year, I mean, he's mostly kind of hit them, you know, in terms of like getting, you know, getting uh, passing Malone this year was not kind of always a guarantee. Mm -hmm. Like he's uh, like I, I we were talking in Slack yesterday in the Silver Screen Roll Slack. I was talking with uh with Sabrina Merchant who and she was she wrote a column last year before the shortened season that LeBron's kind of scoring title or LeBron's eventual scoring lead pursuit was going to be hurt by kind of this shortened season and all these things. And then, you know, I, we were looking back and laughing about the numbers that she projected for him because neither of us were expecting him to average, you know, like 30 points a game the following season after the shortened season at age, you know, 37 or whatever he's at right now. And so, you know, like he's hit from, I think, an individual standpoint, a lot of those benchmarks that are going to matter in the legacy discussion down the line once we kind of, you know, are more removed from the context of the season that he attained those benchmarks mm -hmm. in, you know, he's going to most likely pass Kareem next season. Like all of that stuff is going to be on his resume when he's no longer in the league anymore. And, you know, we're having these like August discussions about who the goat is that we do every year or whatever we're compared. We're saying, you know, that X player, you know, that's coming up next is never going to be as good as LeBron, you know, cause I'm sure that yeah, it, it, like there are, there are future Skip Baylesses like among people our age right now that are going to like, you know, get on that hill about 
LeBron when he's like, you know, 50 years old versus whatever the current guy in the league is. So I think as far as his legacy goes, like, and the, the resume things. Yeah. I mean, this season, I don't know that it really affects that because as much as we all have goldfish brains on the internet and we're all, you know, kind of like sitting, we're all arguing about this stuff in the moment. Like once we're 10 years removed from this season, we're just going to remember that he passed, you know, Malone and passed Kareem and all of these things. But in the moment, it does feel very weird that he's getting all of these things and we sort of were we were talking about how the Lakers somehow managed to always lose these games that he's passing these milestones Mm -hmm. in like they lost the night that he passed Kobe in scoring they lost the night that he passed MJ in scoring they lost the night that he became the first player to get like uh like at least 10k points 10k rebounds and 10k assists like he's the first NBA player to ever do that the Lakers lost that game they lost to the Warriors on the night that he became the all-time leader in cumulative points between the regular season in the playoffs like the the team somehow manages to lose all of, they lost the night that he passed Dirk and uh Chamberlain and something and like you know it, it's just there's this long history of this team finding a way to fail kind of despite his greatness that sort of summarizes this era mm-hmm. in a way where you know this team has I appreciate that you know they have they they appear to have taken the title or bust thing literally where every single year that LeBron is here, they are either winning the title or completely busting <laughs> and like, and just breaking down and being a complete tire fire for almost the entire season. So, I mean, I do appreciate their literal commitment to what Lakers fan and standards are supposed to be. It's just been kind of exhausting to cover in real time. And then, yeah, I mean, as far as it's going to ultimately affect LeBron's legacy, I don't know, but he does seem to, I, I agree with you that he does seem to be kind of, you know, as he always has to a degree, but maybe more so now kind of is trying to take an active, you know, voice in shaping that legacy and active agency in shaping that in terms of like, okay, I at least need to get the scoring title this Mm -hmm. year because not just because it's really the Lakers only chance to win, but also because like, it's a way he's admitted this, like these little accomplishments are, he he's just trying to find some level of joy in this season that he he seems to have admitted to himself since the trade deadline is kind of a lost Mm -hmm. cause. And I think like, it's kind of interesting because we are getting to see that different side of him in his like active legacy building because there's been this sep- separation uh, between him and his team for the first time. You know, like this maybe is the first season, maybe a little bit of last season. But for me, someone, you know, a passive LeBron watcher who's been in the Raptors way for many, many years, uh, many bad years that he can't just like throw the team on his back and kind of get it done. But like he, that his, um, that his legacy wasn't so intimately tied with his team in that sense. But I think one thing, you know, as you, as you were kind of going over like all these milestones that he's hit, something that is interesting to me that I actually think will be interesting to see how he's set this course um, for players like to come in his footsteps is how actively he has been pursuing his legacy as something that's just overt. Because I think there's still these taboos, you know, in pro sports, certainly like the NBA, where it's like, well, if you really want something badly enough, you should just kind of head down and do it and not really like talk it up, not make it so obvious. But it's very obvious that LeBron has wanted to hit all these milestones. And I think, frankly, like that's not something that should like someone should be ashamed of, you know, or something that someone should be made to feel 
Well, it's funny. He even about. sort of subscribes mm-hmm. to those cliches. Like he is talking, he like he was talking last night about, oh, I can't separate this from the loss. Like I'm still upset about the loss. And he says the same. It, it's funny. Like uh, the reason that this sticks in my brain so much, the Lakers always lose on these nights is because reporters try to ask him about it every single time afterwards and are like, hey, like, you know, can you still take some joy? And it's like, he's very consciously like, no, I can't. And I'm not falling for this trap. Like where, you know, I get you. Like you get me to admit that I'm taking some level of happiness in an individual achievement, which I'm then going to be criticized for. Like, I mean, of course, he's probably taking something from it. Even Mello was talking about last night, like that the team, you know, is going to make sure that he celebrates this and that he kind of, you know, takes some joy out of it, even though last night's game was not what they wanted and things like that. But yeah, he's very conscious about like he doesn't want to come across as I'm chasing these things like he's mentioned all the time, like he went out of his way last night to say that he never considered not playing so that he could do it in Cleveland because he just goes out there and plays the game and that's how he got these things and he's not going to change that approach now. And I think to some degree that's truthful, but it's also, you know, sort of representative of this, like of the current sports media climate where like every single thing that he says will be dissected by myself and others and whatever for what, what does it actually mean? What is he actually saying beyond his words? And, you know, people that are going to ding him for like, Oh, look at LeBron celebrating about this achievement. And he only cares about himself and not that his team lost to the wizards. And so, yeah, I think at a certain point though, that individuality has to take precedence. Like for an NBA player or for an athlete that is kind of concerned with that aspect of their job, there are some players who never will be. And like, that's just kind of the way that they approach. I'd say even like, if you want to call it like a work-life balance, (laughs) as close to it as they can have. And LeBron's not one of those. But again, like that's something that I actually won't fault him for because I think him being really open and, and passionate about wanting those things will make it easier in the future for players to want those things as badly. I don't know. I think that's like something that we, not you and I, but the like <laughs> majority. The hot we, take industrial complex. Yes, there you go. Um, Really like, I don't know, can't make up our minds about. Like you want someone to be passionate and driven, but like not too much, you know? <laughs> yeah, like this is the thing that always cracks me up about like so much, so much of the LeBron criticism is stuff that MJ gets praised for in like a different font. Mm-hmm. Like it's just, you know, like the last thing, it's like, oh, LeBron's like, everybody's like, oh man, I can't believe he's like telling campaign to be humble. And he's like, uh, you know, that this, that he's trash talking these players or he's getting mad at the Grizzlies when like the entire hagiography hey, of the last dance was like MJ telling everyone to F off and that he was better than them and that like, you know, they couldn't be on his level and all that. It's like, what do we want from our professional athletes? And like, you know, I don't know. It just feels like a lot of the stuff that he gets dinged for is like just human nature. Like, I mean, you and I, you know, we, we both work with, you know, teams of writers and various like content producers and whatever, but I, I'm sure, I'm sure if you win any individual awards, like you're going to celebrate. I know I celebrated like crazy when I've, when I've ever won any awards or recognition or what, like this is just human nature. Like, of course you're going to take some joy in individual achievements, even if, you know, they do not come as part of some like team wide, you know, massive triumph. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It doesn't mean that you can't enjoy the team success or that you don't care about team success. It just means that you're a human being who likes to be recognized for something that you did well at. And frankly, like when there aren't that many team successes to celebrate. Yes. That too. Yeah, like, like, yeah, yeah, he, <laughs> realistically, you're going to, you're going to celebrate where you can. 
Yeah, LeBron's LeBron's subscribing to like the Marie Kondo method this season of like <laughs> if it doesn't bring you joy, just don't acknowledge it. So he's just he's only spent and making time for the things that bring him joy. <laughs> he's getting rid of the clutter of failure from his there life. He's just like cleaning it out and you know, he's he's focusing on the little wins that he can mm-hmm. get day to day. And kind of like on a note of those little wins and as you alluded to before, you've covered the NBA for a long time and I think, you know, I'm always curious about people's personal kind of rhythms or like maybe personal markers for this time uh, in in a season. Um, you know, like I think of, for example, the Suns clinching, but I also think of how, to me, frankly, weird the rest of the league looks right now. But then I try and look back. Granted, the last two years feel like a wash in my brain and also in just like the mechanics of the league overall. Uh, and I think like, is this, is everyone kind of slow and behind? Like, is this normal? Um, but there's there's been a few things that have kind of happened that I did want to talk to you about this past week. Um, you've had We've had like 50 plus point performances uh, something like, I think seven players have scored 50 plus points since March 5th. There hasn't been a, sp- a longer than a three day space between them <laughs> since then. And the last time there'd been that many 50 plus point performances, uh, wasn't uh, since December, 1962. So mostly I'm just kind of concerned with like rhythms and like what your personal rhythms are, but to you, uh, the state of the West and the East, is it weird? Is it normal? What are the kind of markers that you typically look at uh, the league or like teams to hit? Have they hit them? Um, Or is this just always a very lull period? And we always forget, you know, after All-Star, before the playoffs, we're just kind of twiddling our thumbs and biding our times. I do feel like a big part of it is that because, (laughs) you know, I remember that, you know, it was always like the this I got this experience sort of from the other side of it than what the Lakers are sort of dealing with right Mm -hmm. now, where, you know, I came up and I was covering this team during like the Byron Scott rebuilding years. Like that was when I started out and it's like, oh, like all these young guys are finally starting to show signs of growth in the second half of the season. Oh, wow. Like they must be taking real steps forward. And it's like, no, like just NBA teams have kind of they kind of realize where they are and the more veteran heavy ones are sort of getting ready for the playoffs and they're like just kind of playing out the string or, you know, the, they've realized that there's no hope. And so they're not trying that hard anymore. And so it's like, you always see these like kind of young guy breakouts down the stretch of the second half and little things like that. And so I do think that a good chunk of this is, you know, just the weirdness of this time of the NBA calendar where everyone sort of has different goals than, they're looking ahead to different times than what they are dealing with on a day-to-day basis in terms of their games and whatever they're focused on either, you know, in the Lakers case, like their trip to Cancun in like about a month or, you know, in like in like the Suns case, you know, they're still very locked in, but there are other teams, you know, uh, towards the top of the league that are probably starting to say like, ah, do we really care about like the second night of a back-to-back? We're kind of ready. We're thinking a little bit more about our seating and the first round of the playoffs and, you know, what's this run going to be like and whatever. I do think that there's a unique level of kind of like non-focused play during this segment of the season. But I mean, like you said, like the 50 point stuff is crazy. And I do appreciate that as a card carrying LeBron and Lakers hater, you described it as random guys popping off for 50 every (laughs) single night and just like lumping LeBron in with the random guys at this point. Your your disrespect was noted. And, uh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to call it. I had to balance it out from, you know, we were, we were giving him a lot of shine in the first half (laughs) and I have to balance it out. I can't be accused of just being a 
pure LeBron supporter. <laughs> no, I think that's fair. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I just think this time of the season is so weird. And the other thing, too, is sort of like you mentioned, these last two years have been so mm-hmm. weird. And then this one includes so like last three years have been so weird. Like, you know, two, three seasons ago, you know, in the, the, the conclusion of the 2019-20 season, we didn't even really get this point of the calendar because the season shut down and then it resumed in Orlando. And, you know, there were these weird bubble games that kind of mattered for some teams and kind of didn't for other ones. But it was a more kind of, you know, uh, like it was a more shortened version of this period of the season that we're getting now. And then last year was this weird condensed season where everyone kind of was up and down from night to night because all these guys were super tired from the short turnaround and, you know, everyone was injured and there's like all the, there's like basically a game every day, pretty much for, you know, a good chunk of the season. And I just think that we're really going to look back on these three years as not just a uniquely exhausting experience, but just a really weird one (laughs) for the state of the league and for who was going off night to night and what happened to all these various teams. I I just think that there's a lot more context to all of this stuff than maybe there has ever been just because of how weird all of these seasons have been. And just like the nature of, you know, last year, being shortened after the short turnaround and this year being kind of the first normal one, but there were still a good chunk of these playoff teams that played really late into the summer and then had to go to the Olympics. And like, I, and then, you know, we still have the giant chunk in the middle where the entire league basically went down to health and safety protocols. And, you know, I, I just think that it's just a really, really weird season in a really, really weird kind of era for the NBA. I should clarify that the other random guys um, <laughs> that, I, that I mentioned include Kevin Durant, <laughs> um, Kyrie Irving, Carl Anthony Towns, just real randos. Um, so I just want to make that clear for everybody. Yeah, I mean, look, Kyrie, Kyrie Irving, he doesn't even play half his games. He can't be that good, you know, yeah. like, he, like his coach just opts the A cinema. real like you don't so. even go here kind of vibe <laughs> for Kyrie. <laughs> no, I, but I do... I like that you said uniquely exhausting because I think that's something that also really accurately summarizes the last few seasons uh, in the NBA, like in the world at large, but in our little distillation uh, of the NBA. Um, This is how we process our feelings by just saying that it's the NBA that's uniquely exhausted. It's not us. It's not the world. It's just the NBA. It is. And so I think a part of me has like really relished more than maybe I was anticipating the return to familiar rhythms this season because of that. You know what I mean? Like even like when, like the beats of it, right? Like when the all-star game is like what that feels like. Um, I think even like the deadline, you know, the chaos of the deadline feeling like somewhat familiar, but always surprising to me. Um, But yeah, all these things that we didn't necessarily have. I think it's interesting what you said about the bubble because the, the energy in the bubble was extremely distilled. Like those games, I mean, the fact also that they would happen every day at any hour of the day really fit with like the pandemic, like pandemic life at the time. Cause you could just toss on, you're like, oh, it's 3 p.m. Who's going to be playing? Yeah. It was like March Madness yeah. for like three but months. But every game was but with intense. NBA yeah. And like very good. <laughs> yeah. Like the, I guess you want to say quality of play and just like, I think the self determination. And also like a real collective joy, I'm sure, for those guys to be back, at least at the beginning of the bubble when they weren't then exhausted of the bubble. Um, But yeah, all those rhythms that we kind of felt, even the slump, I think, in energy that you usually like get to at this point of the season have been off. Um, And even now a little bit off with like these 50 point performances by 
randos. Um, but yes, randos like LeBron and KD, yeah, you know, yeah. just random guys in NBA history. Um, but yeah, like I just, do you feel that way? Like, are you kind of, have you felt yourself maybe relax? I guess it's a bit of an anomaly season for you, someone who covers the Lakers, but have you felt yourself relax at all back into those kind of familiar rhythms of, of the NBA? Oh, Katie, this is, you either think that I'm older than I actually am, or like that this is not an anomaly. This is the norm. The the anomaly was the time that the team was really good. Uh, Like for one season, like that was, that was the time that I was more confused as a writer and blogger than I have ever been and podcaster than I've ever been. I'm like, wait, they're like still good. What do we even talk about? You know, this is, this is weird to cover a good team. I, I, so like I said, I started in like, you know, the, the day Dwight Howard left was my first day mm-hmm. as a blogger, mm-hmm. uh, you know, covering this team. And so I have covered almost entirely bad basketball. This isn't an, isn't an anomaly for me. Like I, I was I was kind of born for this. Like but we have some of our newer writers are like, how do you keep coming up with stuff to write about? I'm like, I, you know, I, I covered the Ryan Kelly starting at small forward era. You know, like I, I can write I can find stuff to write about this team like. <laughs> So you're just kind of back. Now you're just like, this is familiar. I'm to back. You. This is yeah, what yeah. I was born yeah. for. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. That's fair. Then I will say as a, as a, as someone who's back in your like familiar territory, how do you take stock of the rest of the league? Because you are also very embroiled, I think to be a Lakers reporter and like to cover the team and to be a Lakers fan, like that is an all-consuming world that I've caught glimpses of when I've moonlighted and written my own stories about the Lakers. Um, there is no universe that exists outside of that for a lot of people. So how do you kind of sit back and take stock of the rest of the league? Like, do you have you allowed yourself to like pick rooting interests in either conference this season? Yeah, it <laughs> You you actually hit the nail exactly on the head that it is sort of like an all-consuming mm-hmm. thing where you know to cover this team as in depth as I feel like I need to to even sort to even sort of like differentiate myself from anyone else like I do feel like it is like I have to almost just pay attention to this team and I don't have a ton of time to watch like other NBA games and I t- because also you know like I like I, I have to sometimes spend time with my wife or you know go see family or like these other things you know like on the nights that the Lakers are not playing in a weird season like this, it is hard for me to justify like, Hey, let me just like watch a bunch more basketball this night. Like that's cool. Right. Um, and so I think like that's part of it, but yeah, I have started to pick my rooting interests for, you know, the rest of the playoffs because this Lakers season is toast. And like, I, I need to figure out like who I'm actually like last year, it was the bucks. I, I was, I was all the way on board with, uh, with them because of, you know, Mirren Fader, my friend had her uh, book coming out on Yon. And, you know, even though I hadn't read it yet, I was all aboard because I'm like, okay, I need them to win the title because then, you know, that's going to mean great financial success for Mirren's book. And also, you know, Giannis and the Bucks were a very likable team. And so I was uh, I I was rooting pretty hard for them last year. This year, I feel like, you know, in the East, I I like them again. I'm ready to jump back on the Bucks bandwagon if uh, if they'll welcome me. And then, you know, like a plot twist of the season that I was not expecting was to like the Memphis Grizzlies as much as I have. And I think there are a couple factors at play for that. And it's like some of this sort of goes back to what we were just talking about, about the unique point in the season and some teams stopping trying and whatever. The Lakers sort of deciding to punt on like the final like three months of the season outside of a few kind of games because they realize that they're like locked into the play-in and also don't really seem to care very much if they were to drop out. Um, 
it's given me more of an appreciation for teams that play with a ton of effort and a ton of kind of heart and just really seem to care about and enjoy basketball as basic as uh, that seems. And so I really, really like the Grizzlies and have enjoyed watching them every single time that they've played the Lakers. When I have been able to catch them on TV, John Morant is just like a human highlight reel. And I'm not saying anything that anyone who pays attention to the NBA doesn't already know there, but he's just, he's so much fun. There's no one quite like his highlights right now um and then honestly like i i've enjoyed watching uh watching the raptors the last couple uh, this week uh you know i gotta say it's the first time i've watched the raptors this year because they are not on national tv mm-hmm. a lot and i do not have league pass but watching them play against the lakers i was like damn i i get why so many bloggers are all in on this team it's just like all kind of lanky wings and they play a weird style and it's like very idiosyncratic and you know like they they play really hard and they switch a lot and you know, like Scotty Barnes is a lot of fun. I finally, I, I get the rookie hype now. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, until, until LeBron tried to murder him. Um, yeah, we got to talk yeah. about that. <laughs> yeah, that was, it was unnecessary to, to attempt to murder him and then claim that he had like scouted him in seventh grade and, you know, he discovered him as an NBA talent. I mean, to me, that was like very familiar pattern uh, that LeBron James has is kind of like acquiescing, like he will only do it after he's had a great game. He will not do it because he did not do media after he almost decapitated Scotty Barnes. Um, (laughs) Maybe that was why I actually didn't even think about that at the time, but maybe he just didn't want anyone to ask him why he tried to decapitate everyone's favorite. Yeah. The most like beloved, I think like joyful, like Scotty, you talk about jaw. I think like jaws, like joy jaws, like you said, human highlight reel. And I feel like, uh, Scotty Barnes is kind of like Joy running around on two legs for the most part. Like this is someone. Yeah, he just looks like he's having fun. And some of it is like his baby mm-hmm. face, I think, and like his youth or whatever. But like he just he does look like he is enjoying basketball, which this Lakers team, again, has given me kind of a great appreciation for anyone who looks like they still like basketball. You know, this team does not appear to like basketball. Like it's a job that they're showing up. And for. he's so like Scotty Barnes is so expressive that I think what killed me the most was like watching him. react to LeBron reacting to him because not only did LeBron like (laughs) he kind of he like manipulated his body in the air so he could throw the ball with like such force down at Scotty Barnes and then after he did um he like stormed over to him and there's this moment when like Scotty Barnes is getting up and he kind of is angling his body away from like LeBron storming down on him and I was also like this is happening in front of the Lakers bench Frank Vogel is right behind him like Scotty is just in unfam- like he's just like in enemy yeah. enemy territory right and you were you were like someone protect him yes please. somebody please <laughs> over there and <laughs> and save our Canada's favorite son it's just like I mean rookies have it tough because I think in those situations like you want to react but like a rookie has just been told time and again like really not to you know like you can't have the reaction and I think even when he was asked about it after after the game, he talked about it a little bit. Um, I think people thought he, he was able to talk. I'm, gl- yeah, I'm glad yeah, to hear he was. it. <laughs> like, yeah, he, was. He, he still has teeth after uh, after that one. But yeah, the LeBron being like, yeah, I saw him. I told someone like being like, I told someone, a friend of mine, <laughs> when I saw Scotty Barnes in the seventh grade, that like he was really going to be special. I feel like he make he goes LeBron James goes out of his way to kind of like make those distinctions once he's like. Yeah, once he's had a good game, once he's been particularly hard can on I, someone. Can I, can I talk about this for a of second? Course. Because the scout, scout with Braun, um, <laughs> you know, whatever you want yes. to call him, it has become <laughs> one of my favorite subplots of the last two years where LeBron, you know, it's like it, it sort of it starts out with 
stuff, like making observations about the Lakers. Like he, he made the claim that he saw Talon Horton Tucker in middle school and told, or it was like either in middle school or like very early high school and told his agent, Rich Paul, to recruit him. He said that he once he, he said earlier this year that he saw, um, Oh, I'm blanking on his name. Uh, RJ Barrett with uh, with the Knicks uh, early on in his career. And, you know, like early on in high school when he was on a trip to Canada at one point and like saw him in an open gym and again, told Rich Paul to recruit him. LeBron is just like Rich Paul's recruiting coordinator, I guess. And then he's talking about he saw Scotty Barnes in seventh grade. Someone actually dug up like film LeBron did see Scotty Barnes as like a freshman in high school, mm-hmm. I think like playing against Bronny or like he was a very young high schooler. He was playing in some AAU game. LeBron was reacting courtside. So he did actually see him. The seventh grade may have been a bit of an embellishment. <laughs> he also claims to have like discovered Malik Monk in high school. Malik Monk did go to his basketball camp, but again, it's like LeBron, the most audacious claim that LeScout has made all year was uh, claiming that he watched Austin Reeves, uh, college tape, you know, during the off season. So he knew he was going to be a good player. I just, I, that's the one where it's like, it's crossed the Rubicon of believability for me. Like there is no, I know that LeBron watches a lot of basketball, probably as much as any human being. I feel like there is no chance that he watched Austin Reeves college tape over the off season and was like, yeah, this kid can play. Let's sign him as an undrafted free agent on a two-way deal. It's unlikely. It's fair. Yeah. <laughs> But I love it. He like he he goes out of his way to and then, you know, it, it, in the context of the Lakers, it's always to talk about how like it, it's always like, oh, I've wanted, you know, X player. I've wanted THT for a long time. Like I, I wanted Malik Monk going back two years. Me and Jason Kidd, we were talking about this. We we're like, how do we get this guy out of the Hornets and stuff like that? And but then it's like any time that uh, an offseason move is kind of not working out, then LeBron's sort of like, well, you know, I put my trust in Rob and, uh, you know, the front office. I'm just a player. I just hope that they, uh, you know, go out and get stuff done. But when it's like, oh, it, when it's Malik Monk, it's like, oh, yeah, I was texting him, really wanted him to come here, all this stuff. It's like, you know, he he is very, we were talking about legacy building. That is part, he is very much selling the Legium narrative when it is convenient for mm-hmm. him, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, kind of on that note, because I don't actually know how hard LeBron tried to recruit this guy. Um, but uh, like, obviously, we do know DeMar DeRozan said that he had thought he might be going to the Lakers uh, this season. Mm-hmm. But I do want to talk to you about DeMar. Uh, and then I like the Bulls more kind of widely. But of course, it seems like all roads in this podcast are going to lead to LeBron. So that's just I'm just going to live with that. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I couldn't help myself. We 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 went down the Scotty rabbit hole and I had but that to, you went know, back I've, to LeBron. Saving, too. And that's fair. I should have yeah. known. I should like I should have known. I should have prefaced this up if with everybody uh, listening that that's just what, what was going to happen. But it's fine. Um, are you <laughs> what has LeBron actually said about the DeMar stuff? Because Le, DeMar DeRozan is not a guy you just like recruit like that. You know what I mean? I think DeMar DeRozan has really shown that like he is trying to carve, especially since his like untimely departure, I think from the Toronto Raptors, like he is trying to pave his own road for himself. And I don't think he is recruitable in the same sense that we've been talking about LeBron kind of having the ability to reach out to other players. I don't mean he's like immune to LeBron. I just think he is too independent, maybe even solitary of a player to, to go that way. 
yeah, so LeBron has not said a lot publicly. Like, I don't know what he said behind the scenes or whatever. I mean, I think that everyone can guess at it by how much uh, criticism the Lakers front office has gotten for not signing DeMar, uh, that LeBron maybe feels like they should have gotten him. But uh, going back to last summer, like, I, I was hearing, you know, before the Russ trade that, like, it, like Rob Polinka has liked uh, DeMar forever. Like, I know that there was real interest in, you know, the, uh, like, the, the Lakers getting DeMar DeRozan. I just think that if you look at the facts of, and I'm not saying like tampering never happens or whatever, but you know, if you look at sort of the timing of all of this, you know, the Lakers, they, they clearly weren't that close on DeMar because they went and traded for Russ before they were even legally allowed to discuss a sign and trade with the Spurs before they, which we, you know, we know never happens, uh, you know, that teams discuss things before they're legally allowed mm -hmm. to. Um, <laughs> but that, that, you know, if we're going to pretend like teams follow the rules, like they traded for Russ, you know, before they were even allowed to talk to the Spurs before they were the, before Rob Palenka or the front office were even allowed to talk to DeMar. And the whole idea of like that a third year, it was kind of the sticking point and why the team didn't want to do it. They wanted him to take a two-year deal. I'm pretty sure with signing trades, you have to sign for at least three years. So I'm not sure that to me that all that stuff makes a lot of sense. I just, I think that if LeBron, I think everyone wanted Russ mm -hmm. and for everyone now, if you listen to the leaks about, you would think that no one wanted Russ like he just appeared on the roster and no one like greenlit that trade like you know they just someone slipped on the fax machine and hit like send and to finalize that deal like no one actually wanted it you know if you are to believe all the anonymous finger pointing through the media but I think if you actually look at the facts of how things happened it's very clear that the team wanted Russ thought that he would be a better fit I think that there were real issues to getting DeMar as well in terms of like you'd have to do it as a sign and trade with the Spurs because we've seen how much he got from the Bulls there was no way he was taking the mid-level and you know if you were going to do a sign and trade with the Spurs to acquire him that was going to hard cap you and so all of a sudden the Lakers wouldn't have been able to keep THT they wouldn't have been able to keep like you know a good amount of their own guys and would have been way way more limited financially in what they could have done and again like DeMar's great and I think that you know in retrospect we can certainly say that he would have been better than Russ but I don't know that he would have looked this good with the Lakers just because of how thin the team would have been and how we've seen that guys with sort of iffier jump shots are not necessarily the greatest fit alongside LeBron and AD. Fair. <laughs> That's fair. Now, DeMar, DeMar's a better shooter than yeah. Russ, but, you know, better pass. Like, DeMar's just straight up a better player than Russ at this point. So this Careful. is not me, like, hindsight. You know, the Lakers had to make the trade for uh -huh. Russ, even though I was an advocate for it at the time. Uh, you know, but it's just... The actual DeMar thing was so logistically complicated that I'm not sure that it ever really could have happened. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm going to use Russ to kind of springboard us into a, a bit of a lightning round because, as you know, I can talk at length about Russell Westbrook, so I'm doing this uh, to limit myself mostly. <laughs> but uh, I've got a couple quite like league-wide. We're going to just take a quick trip around the league uh, to ask you, and I want your thoughts on them. Unvarnished, Okay. Okay, without bringing it back to LeBron. I mean, it might, like, I'd be curious if it does. <laughs> Naturally, I want to see where your brain goes. So um, okay. so I said I'd start with Russ. Is Russ sticking around? Will Russ still be in the purple and gold next season? No. Okay, well, you do have to embellish a little bit. <laughs> you said you wanted lightning round. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I just, this has been so toxic that I, I just don't think that it's, like, 
you know, forget the basketball stuff. I don't think that this is a sustainable workplace Mm -hmm. in terms of like how much everyone is, you know, walking on pins and needles, clearly not happy with each other, clearly pointing the finger at each other. Like I, I honestly, I don't really blame Russ hasn't been great, but he also was sort of set up to fail by a lot of this. And it's funny, like for all the blame that he's gotten for this disappointing season, like I'm not even sure that he's in the top five most to blame for it. Like in terms of because Russ didn't trade for himself, you know, like there were there are there are a lot of factors that I think have contributed to Russ failing. And some of it is himself and his own kind of idiosyncratic and uniquely focused approach to the game. But some of that is like roster factors and like other guys, you know, not making adjustments and coaching and the lineups that they've played and like just a poor fit overall personnel wise. And so but be even outside of that, like we can all sit here and say that that kind of stuff is to blame in a vacuum. It it just seems like there is kind of a real, you know, level of dysfunction that I'm just not sure that you can walk back from after an off season where, you know, he's clearly so unhappy playing for his hometown team, you know, clearly does not get along with the coach who probably won't be around either. Um, You know, it's like everyone has spent, you know, Camp LeBron, Camp, you know, Lakers, whatever. Everyone has spent the entire year leaking that, oh, no, actually, they didn't want him. This person X actually wanted him. And I, I just don't think that it's sustainable. I think that it's gotten so toxic that, you know, they're either going to move off of him or, you know, maybe even just like do the John Wall and just send him home. I just don't see how you can bring him back for another year after how poorly this has gone, how clearly he doesn't, you know, enjoy playing even home games for this team. Like he's telling his family not to go mm-hmm. because he doesn't want them to hear how even the home crowd is reacting to him. I just don't think that with, with how much the Lakers value, how they're seen by other stars around the league, I don't think that they can allow this to continue for another year and have this really kind of damage the way that other stars see them as an organ as sort of like a platform for exposure and for accomplishing their own goals. Like they don't want people just saying like, Oh, look at how, they did Russ like for the for the next like five ten years whatever and really affecting kind of their brand and the way that they're perceived Mm -hmm. as catering to and treating stars thank you for that embellishment I can get on board with all of it Uh, I will use toxicity as a bridge (laughs) for this next one um this could be a bridge to anything around the Lakers I'm ready fair but it's a bridge away it's toxicity a bridge away from the Lakers um the romance the longtime pining romance between James Harden and Daryl Morey. Daryl Morey finally getting his guy. Uh, he's landed him. He's brought him home. Is this going to last in Philly? I feel like no. <laughs> like, I, I, I just... <laughs> You know, given how, uh, you know, they were like Philly fans, it took them like, what, did it take them like two games to boo the team? Uh, Like after the Harden acquisition, you know, like I, and I understand that that is uniquely intense fan base. And I actually like have a lot of respect for how kind of honest about their feelings the Philly fans are and that they really give in to their fan it. It's like they are, they are either rooting for all of their players are either the best player of all time or the worst player of all time. There's like no in between with them 
them. And I sort of appreciate that level of emotional honesty and like intense passion for basketball. But yeah, I mean, I I just don't, he's going to start to decline, I think eventually and maybe quicker than some other stars just based on, you know, some of what we hear about his off court habits. And uh, yeah, I'm not super optimistic that this is going to go a great direction long-term, but short-term, like I can see why they did the deal. Like Simmons was clearly not going to show up for them. And so to try to get someone, you know, in James Harden who can actually help them this year and maybe next year too, or whatever, like I I can see why they did it. I'm just not sure that his long-term contract is going to end up looking great. Okay. And then talking about optimism, um, I think this is a team that surprised me in the East, similar to the way that the Suns have like kind of quietly, I mean, a little bit different than the Suns, but the Suns have just like quietly clinched number one. Um, the Heat have not clinched number one. They have clinched their division. What it, What do you think about the Heat's chances in this year's postseason? Ooh, that's a good question. I, I still would honestly, like, I, I'd still put the Bucks ahead of them. I just really believe in that team and in Giannis especially and just sort of like the championship experience that they had. But yeah, I mean, I think that the Heat, honestly, it's weird that they've been so regular season successful mm-hmm. despite, you know, missing so many guys when, you know, I think everybody sort of the rap on them last offseason was this is a team, you know, may not, may not like, you know, finish in the top four, but they're going to be a uniquely positioned team to be a difficult player playoff out because of the amount of experience that they have. And then instead they're like leading the NBA regular season. I think they still have the best record in the East currently, right? Like even though you said they haven't clinched, but I think they're still number one in the East in the standings. And uh, like they, you know, and they have barely gotten to play all of their guys together. So yeah, I mean, I think that like Eastern conference finals finals are really on the table for them. Okay. Um, Me too. I think. And they just have, they just have a lot of guys. They do have a lot of guys that have, like a lot of guys that can play. And, uh, you know, I, I just think that they're really deep. And th- th- again, this is again, taking it back to my kind of own like Lakers bias and experience or whatever, but this, the team that I cover is like so thin that any team that has any level of depth, I'm just like really impressed with. And I'm like, wow, like they don't completely fall apart when their best player goes to the bench and look like a glorified G league team. Like this is amazing. And so, yeah, I, 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 I believe in the heat, just not like more than the bucks, but yeah, I mean, you're not going to, get me to praise the Celtics in any way, shape or form. So I feel like the heat have as good of a chance of any, as any, I mean, I wasn't even going to ask you about the Celtics. The, the six yeah, were no, as close as I could get to that area. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. Luka Doncic, uh, said <laughs> on JJ Reddick's podcast that, um, he's decided he's not going to yell at the refs anymore. He saw some video of himself. He didn't like the way that it looked. <laughs> he said, I'm over that. I missed this. this is I'm amazing. not going to do it anymore. You know, that part is it's behind me. Do you believe him? <laughs> no. <laughs> I I believe that players do have more control over their emotions than I think sometimes is commonly perceived, especially when it's like, oh, well, how is this guy not going to pop off over like that level of call? Like that ref clearly blew that call. How is he not going to get upset? Like you can't really blame him for getting a technical there or whatever. Like I've seen that, you know, especially the great players, like they're so competitive that they can kind of turn off their emotions for a little bit if they really need to. Like LeBron can like all of a sudden, like just decide to like, if he picks up one technical, it's like, he knows where the line is after that point. Like 
I will never forget the postseason where Kobe was right up against the suspension line for he had gotten like enough technicals. The next one was going to be a one game suspension. And I think it was like the Western Conference finals. He just said like, yeah, I'm just not going to get another one. He just basically stopped talking to the refs for like the rest of the postseason. So I I do think that like I believe that Luca is going to try. uh, But yeah, I, I think that eventually at some point, I don't know that you make it like three years into your career being known as the guy that yells at refs and then just like stop doing that, <laughs> uh, you know, just cold turkey. Yeah. It kind of goes against his nature. I think. You yeah. Can't, some, there's some things you cannot help. Uh, yeah. I mean, th- this guy, like every single time the broadcast cuts to him, he's either, you know, like e- extremely photogenically smiling or he is screaming in a ref's mm-hmm. face. Like, I feel like there's no, or like dramatically, dramatically rolling his eyes and like almost like a cherub and like a Renaissance painting. I feel like yeah, he he has some of the greatest ref reaction yeah. faces since like Tim Duncan. Yeah, he can't of just like disbelief. His face, I don't think. Yeah, and that's the bigger problem, right? Like, what you what do you do when you cannot control your own face? Yeah, you know, look, as someone who you know has been uh, has been said to not have the greatest poker face, you know, <laughs> I I can relate to Luca in uh, in that okay. way. We will shift that one way probably. Okay. <laughs> I mean, remains to be seen, um, but similar to what I asked you about the heat, what do you think the Warriors chances are in the postseason? Just given the news uh, of Steph Curry's injury, which is still kind of like they haven't really the Warriors keep that stuff pretty close to the chest. So we don't know how long term that could be. Yeah, I'm I'm a lot less optimistic. I was already kind of losing hope in their ability to beat the Suns. And, you know, I, I just really uh, in the West, I'm just like anyone but the Suns at this point. Um, I'm I'm just tired of them and tired of Jay Crowder wow. and, you know, all that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I know you wrote you, you wrote such a beautiful piece <laughs> on them for basketball feelings last week. I, I read it last night and I was like, oh, man, this is like almost making me like the Suns. <laughs> like she reminded me that they have JaVale. Like, you know, may, maybe I can get behind this. And, you know, I, I think that's going to be my only emotional coping mechanism if they end up being really good. It's like, oh, JaVale yeah. taught Chris Paul how to yeah. win, Uh, you know, so. I think I can get behind that. But yeah, as far as the Warriors, like with Draymond being out for so long, I was already kind of not as optimistic on their chances to kind of turn things around just because, you know, when you start having nerve pain that like radiates down to your leg, that's kind of a red flag for me. I don't know if that's a hot take where, you know, I'm a little worried about that long term and that that's not just going to like, you know, flip a switch and go away again. I'm not a doctor, but that sounds concerning to me. Um, Especially when you're someone his size, who's constantly being kind of guarding bigger players, getting like, you know, having to deal with guys that outweigh him by like 50 pounds, whatever. Uh, And then now you have the Steph injury. I I am pretty worried about the Warriors and their kind of long-term prospects for this season, which is, you know, it's sad because it looked like they had really kind of found something early on and we're going to like, okay, they're finally healthy. They're going to get clay back. You know, this is their year where they can kind of like at least ascend back to the finals or the Western conference finals and kind of remind everyone of how great that trio was. And it's just unfortunate that health is kind of going to take away from that. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then, um, finally I'm bringing it back to LeBron for you. Uh, (laughs) Thank you. You've brought me back to my comfort zone. I, I appreciate have to do it. it. You know, it's a roller coaster and yeah. I'm your guide. So uh, where <laughs> is LeBron? People on roller coasters don't have guides, but generally people knew what I meant. Uh, where is LeBron going to go on vacation first this summer? You know, that's a, 
That is a question. You know, my first answer is obviously going to be Cancun because I've been saying that the Lakers, like the only, uh, the most honest way they could end huddles is just to start doing the Nick Van Exel one, two, three Cancun because that's what the energy that they come out with most games, especially like this week until that uh, most recent game against the Raptors. Like they had just, you know, I guess like forgotten that first quarters mattered in the final score. Like they thought that that they played like they thought that was a warm up quarter. Um, for like basically like a week or two weeks. And so, you know, I- I've been thinking about Cancun with LeBron a lot, but that's so stereotypical that I feel like he's so brand aware that he would never go there on vacation just because of how many jokes people would be able to mm-hmm. make about mm-hmm. it. So I feel like, I feel like Spain or something, I don't know, maybe he goes and like visits Marcus Gasol and it's like, Hey, are you tired? I know, I know we had our issues. I- I'm sorry that I recruited Andre Drummond to play over you. Everything's gone to hell since you left we need are you done being the jackie moon of second division spain can you come back and save the lakers uh so maybe spain mark's never coming back i have to say yeah i know i just um, i'm i'm trying to make you like the lakers I again know. so i'm 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 creating a reality where lebron apologizes for getting rid of your favorite player ever okay. i mean i wouldn't mind just like him going to spain and maybe having a little bit of like a usually i in the as someone who writes a column every summer called nba summer vacation watch um i can say with full authority that lebron usually picks like destinations where he can spend half the time on a yacht on water which fair yeah i'd like to see him just like Taking a walk and trip, letting Marcus like take him around, you know, Barcelona, seeing seeing the sights. Yeah, or together. what if uh, what if LeBron what if LeBron just became like uh like Le Woodsman this summer and just like went out to like a cabin somewhere and like just really let the beard went grow full out? Drew, yeah, yeah. Just lived off the land, yeah. you know. Just kind of got back in touch with his roots. Yeah, yeah I don't know. Real like leaves the grass moment. Yeah, he could do it. Maybe that would help serve him a little bit better, right? We talked about Mary Kondo. Yeah, just, re- but, just recenter yeah. after a tough yeah. campaign. Just like live in a cabin alone in the woods <laughs> for a while, like. That's fair. I don't know. It's like it's like when artists work on their next album or whatever, and they go isolate yeah. somewhere. Like LeBron just has to work on like his next uh, like Washington. You have to take thing. his phone from him because he loves. LeBron is a man who loves to do uh, a very like wobbly, like the cameras on him, you know, like video screaming about like where yes. he is and what he's doing. But we remains to be seen. Or just like rapping along to a song he very clearly yeah. does not know yeah. the words to. That's in the back his other, of the car, like go to. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Or sometimes in the front of a car, I'm pretty okay. sure. Yeah, uh, that too. I was going to say he's got a really patient driver, but he's also done it in his own car. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm pretty sure he's been driving for a few of those, which I'm not sure is legal, but, you know, I'm not a cop. What am I going to do? There we go. Well, Harrison, thank you so much uh, for joining me. And um, I feel like, you know, I had left it. I will like a little behind the curtain to everyone listening. I had a little area at the end of our kind of questions like anything else that was kind of burning for you to talk about but i feel like we made we made good coverage of the rest of the league for how we started yeah no i I mean i feel like i feel like we got into like all the places that my brain was going to wander like i think i think we work it we're just professional podcasters we work that in naturally yeah yeah, it's all natural um (laughs) but tell (laughs) please tell people if they're not familiar with you for some reason where they can find you and where they can find your work yeah, so you can find me. I'm, I, you know, as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, I spend most of my time on Twitter. So you can follow me there at H-M-F-A-I-G-E-N, at H-M-Fagan. I'm 
on it far too much. Uh, and uh, although I've gotten better, less this season, but still more than like any human being should. Uh, and then all of my writing and podcasting can be found at silverscreenandroll.com or just silverscreenandroll and your podcast provider. My wife and I also do a podcast on movies. Uh, so if you want to hear me talk about something that is not basketball, uh, that's Rewind and Reconsider. Uh, we rewatch our like favorite childhood movies and kind of see how they held up and all that. Like right now we're going through all of the Disney princess movies, which you can guess uh, whose childhood maybe that was from. Uh, and yeah, it's, I'm not going to lie, Katie, it's been tough, but uh, if you want to hear me like slowly lose my mind at those movies, then uh, yeah, that's rewind and reconsider. I'll make one suggestion from my childhood and that is the movie speed. That's from your childhood. Yeah, that was like this is a different podcast, but that was like a maybe it's for your podcast, but that was like a comfort movie that I watched when I was sick and home from school. Isn't that like a really stressful movie? I've never seen it. I but guess isn't the whole premise maybe of that movie just, that you're supposed to be panicking I just live the whole for time? The thrill, you know, <laughs> uh, apparently, <laughs> you're like, yeah, Crank is my comfort movie. I just uh, I love you know Jason Statham having maybe to inject I just himself love public with transit. adrenaline. I don't know. Um. Yeah, maybe that's it. <laughs> but thank you so much, buddy. <laughs> No, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to do it anytime. <laughs>